0: Look at this in parentheses. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, I, and I stop there because we just in the middle of that account. I want to just highlight that that fact. And Cameron touched on that this morning. And as we read the Gospels, we see this. It's obvious throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Really, it, it's obvious that the disciples most of the time don't have a clue as to what's going on, even when Jesus is standing there in their face telling them what's going on. So that's why I sometimes they say, well, you know what, we just need more teaching. Sometimes people got teaching and still don't know what it means. <laughs> sometimes we, Jesus is standing there in the face trying to let us know what's what's going down, and we still don't get it. And Sometimes we're just a little slow on the uptake, if you know what I mean. And the disciples are like that. And so in this moment, uh, there's something that we'll see in this that, that they're not expecting what takes place. And John is intent... Of course, not only, in, uh, he's not in, in, in intent just on in, engendering belief or faith in the hearts of his readers, which is why he writes his gospel. Uh, but he wants to describe the effect of the resurrection on those who witnessed it. And sometimes, how many of you realize that we, because many of you, like myself, we grew up in church. And we, this stuff was instilled in us, you know, in Sunday school when we were like, yay high, right? Or yay high. They carried us in and, 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 you know, wrapped up. And they started teaching us before we even knew. And they said, listen, this is the Bible, boy. Listen to this. And, you know, we, I mean, is my earliest memories there, at, back on the east side, Sunday school, first we used to have a little card class. We were little tiny kids. And you, just a little simple. And they had have flannel boards. Remember flannel boards? Yeah. They put a little, some of y'all remember that? Some of you said, I am so making myself sound old. Flannel boards, that's how the crude technology they had in the 60s. And now it's like kids, you know, five-year-olds are getting like multimedia video and they've got their own tablets, right? <laughs> and they got everything. But but it was like, but all your life, and you hear the story and it begins to kind of ring hollow to you. And you, it begins to become enshrined in religious verbiage to where we don't really get the visceral and the real sense of what goes on. But if you step back and read it, you realize that that, wow, it really did have an effect, and it's not necessarily a, the intended effect because you would think that everybody was like, "Yay, Jesus is alive!" Just like we thought, right? No, absolutely not. It's it's not the way it works. Now this is the eighth sign because he, you know, he raised. Lazarus from the grave, but now in this instance, what we've seen here, they find the empty tomb. Jesus has, in essence, God has raised Jesus from the dead, or we can say that it, Jesus Himself has raised, has, has has risen from the grave. But but more than just the spectacle, the miracle uh, of this, and it is a miracle, and we do believe in the supernatural. We, we do believe that this was a supreme ex- uh, uh, su- display of the power of God through Jesus through the resurrection. Um, he wants to demonstrate to us. God wants to demonstrate to us the reality of the resurrection and how it affected the lives of those involved up close and personal in real time, if you will. In uh, John selecting the material that he presents, he wants us to get this sense of, of how it affected these people. And he ch- he stresses the change that, that it affected in the lives of the witnesses. And um, there there really are five entities involved here. We'll run through these real quick. First of all, there's Mary Magdalene, who who basically, res- you know, represented a different it's it's rendered differently in the gospels but mary magdalene represents the women you know she's she represents the sisterhood right she's the sisterhood of the traveling sarongs or something i don't know <laughs> and then there's then there's peter and then and then there's an unnamed disciple who is probably john because john is writing the gospels so he's kind of coy and kind of kind of cool about it you know because he he'll, he'll be writing and john will say oh and there was this other guy there the disciple who jesus loved <laughs> you dig? That's me. <laughs> so that's John, and then then there then there were the other the the group of the guys, the other ten or eleven, and then there was this other guy that you've heard about. His name was Thomas, and and poor Thomas, I wouldn't want to be him because it's like it's it's, it's 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 a shame when somebody affixes uh, a modifier to your name for life. And like, so if I say Thomas, you say, "Say that, that ain't right." <laughs> so if I say Charles, you say. Did you have somebody when you were coming up in, in your in your childhood, in your neighborhood, and they had a name, but you added something to their name? And they forever became that? And you're 65 years old and you see them, or you go to your 30-year high school reunion and you say, there is blank so-and-so. Yeah, that's Thomas. So we got Mary, Mary Magdalene representing the women. Peter, John probably, and group of disciples and Thomas. Now let's real quick, I'm going to run through this real quick. Look at Mary is a picture of something because if you kind of do a character study and look at her as she approaches the tomb, she's this, this picture of a of, of frustrated devotion. Mary loves Jesus and intently and her love for Jesus is really emphasized in John's gospel and so she's probably the leader of the women who go to the tomb to anoint the body early on the first day of the week and and uh, but there 's been neg- neglect with regard to considering how they would remove the stone because they were so caught up in in running this errand of love, if you will, and showing this love to Jesus that they overlooked the most important problem in doing it and so mary 's agitation over finding the stone rolled away just is indicative of, of her of her of her concern about everything being right and a concern about Jesus, and she sur- uh, hurries to summon Peter and John, and she has this uncontrollable grief as she looks at the tomb and we what we see in Mary's depth of emotion the fact that she loves Jesus she's concerned about what's going on she's there to do a job to anoint his body she's confused when the stone is rolled away and she's deeply grieved because when Jesus died for Mary law life had lost its meaning because he was the object of her gratitude and her affection But when Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus' resurrection changed Mary's futile tears into active effort. And so this mourner becomes a missionary in this moment as she runs to tell the others what has happened. And she runs with the message that he is risen. That's Mary. Then there's Peter. Peter um, is is not given a lot of play in this account, a lot of pronouncement. Uh, But what little bit is said of him is significant. Because Peter has run to the tomb, and it's, uh, it's pretty safe for us to assume, isn't it, that he would not have run to the, to the tomb if he did not have great concern for Jesus. Because the last reference to him prior to the 20th chapter is his denial of Jesus. Put yourself in Peter's place. Again, it's not the simplistic, here's the Sunday school, here's the picture, here's Peter. We draw him, he looks really cool, and he has a beard. We draw him, and he's happy. Wow! Now Peter is filled with, with with conflicting emotions and issues and concerns and unresolved stuff because Peter has denied Jesus, and he repents quickly of his failure in that he's deeply sorry and troubled that he has... That he has denied the Lord, but it's it was too late for him to express his sorrow to Jesus. That's why when you, you got somebody you that 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 you that you care about that you need to make it right with you, make sure you do it before they're gone, because when they're gone you can't do it no more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so Peter is is is, is torn by by that pain and and uh, it was too late for him to express his sorrow. And so as far as Peter n- knew any possibility of adjustment with regard to his relationship with Jesus had been permanently removed by Jesus' crucifixion. So Peter's left carrying this burden of unforgiven sin. Some of you know what that feels like, don't you? Aren't you glad that because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again because of the grace of God, you don't have to live with that? Jesus is alive today. He has not died and left you in your sin, but he has borne the price for your sin and allowed you to walk in freedom, and you can talk to him and confess your sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. Peter, at this point, wasn't in a position— to understand that. And so he's left carrying the burden of that. So all of a sudden in this moment, the resurrection means for him the assurance of forgiveness and restoration to fellowship with the Lord. Because if Jesus is alive, first of all, his act of betrayal was not final in its, in its, in its implication. And secondly, it means that he will have the opportunity to speak with and to make it right with the Lord. That's Peter. Then there's John. John was the disciple who leaned on Jesus' chest at, at the Last Supper and He's regarded as his best friend, and John was wiped away. He was, I mean, blown away. He was wiped out. He was desolate after the resurrection, after the crucifixion, rather. And and he didn't have that kind of bitter regret that Peter had because he had a good relationship with Jesus. But uh, there was a void and an emptiness in his life that undoubtedly was a huge void, a huge empty place. And like Peter, John ran to the tomb prompted by the desire to, to find out what had happened to the body, and perhaps because... He was, to some degree, hopeful that some good fortune might manifest in this situation. And John's discernment, his, his perception was, was sharper than Peter's because he, in, 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 the, in the words of the text from one version, he saw and believed. And, of course, later that friendship was re- restored and he was able to have further fellowship. But then there the, 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 the disciples as a group, they were possessed by the emotion of fear, we could say they were oppressed by the emotion of fear. Again, your happy little Jesus picture that they showed you in Sunday school—a much more complex web of feelings and emotions and, and and affect in the midst of this time. And so, um, there, the, the, the disciples are in deep dread of the Jewish rulers who had sent Jesus to his death, and wondering if they were waiting to deal with them in similar fashion. You can imagine the climate. It's not like it wasn't like they crucified; they killed Jesus, and then okay, so. A, the deed is done. You guys are good to go. No, it's like they were and there. There was the fear that they would be they would be next because they were his followers and they hadn't left Jerusalem because they probably thought it might be best to kind of lay low and just stay inconspicuous in the city rather than get on the road, and get on the run, go on the lamb, and get hunted down. So they're just trying to lay low and and be quiet and stay out of sight. And they had met behind closed doors, lest their presence be known. But the resurrection changed them. It changed their fear into courage so that on the day of Pentecost, and you see this in the book of Acts, and going forward, it says that with great power, the apostles gave their witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. That's in Acts 4.33. And then finally, there's Thomas, old Thomas. My my parents were from Texas, and they used to affix old to everything. Everybody was old this. Uh, I was old Charles, even when I was a kid. My brother was old Jerry, my wife was old Charlene, when we, and so Thomas is old doubting Thomas. Oh my dad, actually, not my mom. Everything was old, so that was old Shereen out there. But Thomas is this living, living demonstration of the power of Christ to dispel doubt, Thomas is like some of you, and there's nothing wrong with being who you are, because you are temperamentally who you are by God's design and by environmental factors, and some of you are a little bit more pessimistic by nature. Some of you are a little more cynical by nature. Some of you demand evidence before you believe things, and that's, God is not opposed to that. God deals with you and will provide you with information. It's, it's, you know, sometimes we, in church, we want to make you know, anybody that, that, that asks questions, we want to make them seem like they're infidels or there's something wrong with them. And, and, and the, the Bible doesn't indicate that about. That's why Thomas, is, is, is his story is brought to the front. It's, it's, it's put out there. Jesus interacts with him and deals with him. And, yes, uh, you know, he says certainly, you know, you saw and believed. Blessed is the one who doesn't see and believes, but the fact that Thomas is engaged in the story means that some people tend to be this way, and, and Thomas is naturally pessimistic, and his previous statements have demonstrated that, right? And his doubt seems to have been the, the uh, product of this pessimism, rather than his lack of confidence in Jesus per se. You know what I'm saying? It's not that he didn't trust Jesus, but he just tended to be that pessimistic kind of person. and And so, with jesus death you can imagine thomas saying you know the worst has happened just as i said it would i you know that person is like you know when it's like things i knew see you said come to church today i knew they were going to keep hold a long time (laughs) you know i I just knew it turned out just like i thought it was well good for you it turned out like i didn't think it was because i was thinking optimistically whatever you know but but that 's the way Thomas was, and so Jesus volunteers to submit to the test that Thomas demands. He doesn't, doesn't throw him, you know blow him off, he doesn 't send him away and uh, and, and you know the, the fact that he knew what Thomas had said when he was not present was convincing proof of his supernatural knowledge and his willingness to accept Thomas on his own terms. This was a marvel of condescension and compassion, and so Thomas. Basically, the resurrection on the behalf of Thomas made the difference between the skepticism of despair and the worship that brings certainty. And so it said like this of, of the resurrection, that it made a mourner into a missionary. That's Mary. It made a penitent into a preacher. That's Peter. It made a friend into an apostle of love. That's John. It made a timid and shrink, shrinking band of disciples into the fearless heralds of a new movement. It made a doubter. Into a confessor, the resurrection. That's the impact of the resurrection. But because we are so familiar with this story, when we already know what to expect, then we forget that those who were there, Mary, Martha, their friends, all of them, let me put it in the right framework, none of them were expecting the resurrection. None of them were expecting the resurrection. Let's work with this just for a moment and go a little bit further and see if there's something in this that might help us to put the resurrection into the context of our life in a fresh way. Resurrection, here's the deal. Resurrection is crazy. You said, that does not sound very spiritual. Well, I ain't trying to sound spiritual. I'm trying to sound realistic. And come on, resurrection, the idea of resurrection, that's out there. I know you guys are already oh no, pray, pastor, praise the Lord. That's it's, it's Jesus, don't you know? It's in the Bible. <laughs> Resurrection is crazy because it's expected. It comes out of nowhere. You don't expect it. They didn't expect it when when, it, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It was crazy. It was unexpected. It was out of nowhere. It wasn't what they, we talked about Lazarus. It wasn't what Mary and Martha expected. If, if, it, if I had been Mary and Martha, I would have expected Jesus to come after Lazarus since he didn't show up when we sent for him. Hello? I would have expected him to come and have consoled us, to pat us on the shoulder, maybe to bring a a pie or some chicken. (laughs) Kosher pie and kosher chicken. I would have expected him to come and console us, maybe apologize for being late. I'm sorry, y'all. I didn't make it last week. I was down at the pool of Bethesda somewhere doing something, you know, Apologize, and, and then maybe we'd sit around and have dinner and shed a tear, and then we'd move on and go, we'll go visit Lazarus' tomb and put some flowers there, put a little memorial down, some paper plates with pictures on it that we drew and some candles we got from the 99-cent store, and we put them all down there <laughs> have a little memorial for, 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 for Lazarus. And because here's the deal, we've got to move on with our lives. Why? Because we know that Lazarus is going to stay dead. It's much safer. It's much more expected. That's the way things normally work, right? Period. End of sentence. That's the deal. That's what I would have expected. That's what you would have expected. Because staying dead is what we expect dead people to do. And you know that's right because if that was the case, that's why some of you, you would not ever want to go visit the cemetery because you wouldn't want to be there when something turned out otherwise. For Jesus to come up and, and, and first of all to weep, Jesus wept. Your memory verse for last week. <laughs> or w- one, one version says, Jesus at that burst into tears. And then to say, roll the stone away. How weird is that? They're like, what are you talking about? Now what if I pull that? Go out to the mausoleum in Inglewood Park openeth it. And they say, Pastor Charles, they say, we're going at 5150 you, son. You need some help. Maybe maybe it's that thing about you, maybe you tripped out because you're going to be a grandfather. Something going on up there, Charles. I said, no, open it up. For Jesus to call out, Lazarus come forth, and then for Lazarus come jumping out! Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) And I do that because he was bound. He had great something. He was like wrapped up and like they said, loose him and let him go." I'm tired of man. He said, "Yeah, please let me out of this stuff." Uh That's strange. It wasn't expected. It's not part of any formula. There's no formula to predict this. Same with Jesus' resurrection. It's not what they expected. It's not what normally happened. That's why it's so wonderful because it is this particular point in history when everything changes. And on that Sunday morning, when the women go to the tomb, they are shocked, they are disoriented. How many of you know, you know, they tell you this about the big stressors in life. There's a list of them. You know, you've seen them. smart psychologists put them together from surveys and studies and all this stuff. And they say the most important, I think the death of a spouse is one. And, and it, all the obvious stuff, somebody dies, you get a divorce, you lose your job. Um, you know, you get a parking ticket. You get a jaywalking ticket that's $197 in L.A. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and uh, you could, yeah, texting and driving, that's on the thing. But you, you see the list, but you think it's all bad stuff, but it's like, you know, you, you, somebody leaves you, blah, blah, blah. You get married, you get a new job. It's like, what? Change anything, anytime that ch- anything, they got the ordinary because you don't get a new job every day and you don't get a new house every day and you don't, and good things don't happen, wonderful things don't happen every day. You don't get married every day. Hopefully you don't. There are charges that go with that. <laughs> but, but 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 it's pe- people dead people tend to stay dead they're shocked they're disoriented they're dismayed by the missing body now there are those who will tell you that all you have to do to be a disciple of jesus is to apply some formula i, I am i'm so tired I've, I've heard and 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 handled every formula there is you know, when you, we read the Bible care, carefully and, and properly and realistically and contextually and, and comprehensively, we realize that, wow. It, it, you see, we talked about this with regard to the, the man who was born blind. Remember the question, well, Jesus, this guy's been blind for birth. Somebody must have been done messed up. Who sinned, this man or his, or his parents? He said, nobody sinned. This has just been allowed so that the work of God could, could be manifest in this guy's, in this guy's, in this guy's life. And in our life, sometimes it's like we, I've got, you know, I've got the form. If you will, if you will just come to my church every Sunday, and if you will pay your tithes, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And you ain't never, you ain't never gonna be. You gonna always have a hundred dollars well, when that ain't even enough. Hundred dollars ain't that much. Of you gonna always have a thousand dollars in your pocket. If you just if you just do what I say, if you'll buy this book and follow these four steps to to whatever it is, you will always everything listen, I, I don't I don't know about formulas. I know about biblical principles, I know about precept. I know about living a biblical lifestyle based upon a biblical worldview. I know about following Christ, and I know about faith in the promises of Scripture. I believe in all of that. But but people will tell you that if you just apply the certain formula, if you'll believe and behave in a certain way, you, you can live with this kind of certainty, and I do grant you that the resurrection has brought us a kind of certainty, because we sung about it this morning, because he lives, you can face the future, and because he lives, all fear is gone, and you know who holds the future, and life is worth the living. Yes, I believe in that kind of certainty, but you know what? Between here and glory, between here and that life, between here and my transition, I'm not so sure that God has promised me that I'll always understand understand what 's going on, and maybe it just might be that the most the most pointed and the most and the most exciting and the most profitable and the most eventful things in your life will be the things where God works outside the box in ways that blow your mind because they don 't make sense and they don 't fit the mold and they don 't fit the pattern and you didn 't expect them. I just think about Paul in second Corinthians just little things it 's like he 's talking about man these uh, these are these, these, uh, Macedonian Christians, they, man, they didn't do what we ex- I expected. I just thought they'd give a little bit. But, man, they just, like, went crazy, and they just went overboard. I, I expected one thing. And sometimes you expect one thing. And, I, you know, it's nice to have expectations. I, I, I got over, and, I, this, and this is a whole other sermon, but I, I, I you have to temper this whole thing about, oh, you have to have a vision for your church. Yeah, I have a vision. But you know what? The problem with that, we have to be careful with that. I know a lot of people that have a vision for the church, and their vision is about their aggrandizement and about money and about about numbers and buildings and stuff and tv and jets and God Jesus said I'm and said well you know what do, do I have a say in this because your vision sounds like a manifestation of, of the same cultural desires and drives that drive everybody around you but what about the fact that maybe I have a vision for you that might take you into another dimension, another realm. The vision, the plan, and the purpose that I have for you might, might be something beyond what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is experiencing. It might be it might be a total surprise. And some of you say, I don't like surprises. And on that day, on that Easter Sunday morning, I know it's almost 1 o'clock, but I feel like preaching. I might go all day today. <laughs> don't tell them that right <laughs> Let me tell you, on that, on that morning, they were surprised because Jesus superseded any formula. If the formula, because they didn't, the formula he gave them, he said, This is the way it's going to work. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. They didn't even get that. They're like, What's he talking about? Okay, whatever. The formula was, I'm going to, the Son of Man must die and be crucified, give his life for many. And if that's, oh no, Lord, that ain't going to happen. That ain't, now that's, we don't like that formula. Our formula, Lord, we got a formula. Our formula is is, is political power and, and military might and, and hegemony. And, and we're going to take over and we're going to run the Romans out of Jerusalem. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna show up and show out. And we're looking for that kind of leader, Jesus. We know you're that kind of leader. And Jesus said, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. So you follow me, you do it my way. So for them, the crucifixion was a surprise. Because that wasn't the kind of leader they were looking for. But how much more is the resurrection? And so, if anything... What following Jesus means is not that you're going to have this predictable little path. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that if you, when you turn your life over to Jesus, that everything will always be always understandable and fall into neat little categories. Sometimes, man, life is messy. Sometimes life at its best is chaotic and crazy because that's just the way life is. That's the way creation is. That's the way this planet is. That's the way culture is. That's the way society is. And that's the way, even in the kingdom of God, there's this kind of this kind of chaos where God always knows what's in control. But in your world and in my world, there's this kind of control or sometimes it feels uncontrolled chaos that's going on. We want to try to, we want to rid ourselves of that. We want to know everything that's going to happen and anticipate everything that's coming. And God says to us, you know what, I can't that's not the way i work i reserve the right to shock you i reserve the right to surprise you i reserve the right to surprise you by joy to surprise you by hope i reserve the right to step into your world into your history into your experience in ways that will blow your mind if you are open to me and if you'll put your trust in me but not ways that are necessarily predictable and that you can plan out and purpose out in your own finite understanding because in as the Old Testament say, it says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Because my thoughts, are, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher. You know, if, if, if God were, someone put it like this, if God was able to be comprehended and understood by me, he would not be worthy of my worship. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. If you could figure God out, why are you, well then God, I didn't understand, well did I got this then. You, uh, you go ahead. No. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about the, the unsearchable riches of God's wisdom and his grace. And so, let me, let me just start just to get somewhere here. It might be that faith in a biblical sense really is about recognizing the unexpected. Realizing that when things are not going according to the plan or the formula... When something is surprising and serendipitous, and I love that word, go look that word up. I want to live in the realm of serendipity. This, 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 I'm, I'm glad that I don't get up every, I, 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 have a, I work by schedule, I, work, I have my to-do list, I got several means of planning my life that I alternate between, but I'm so glad that, that I'm looking for those little surprises of grace. I'm looking for those resurrection moments when I go to the tomb, a given tomb in my life where something has, been, has died and has been buried and tucked away and ostensibly is gone and out of my purview and out of my mind because I have written it off, I figure that's over and that's done with and that's gone. And surprisingly, by the grace of God, by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, new life appears and stuff is reborn and re-energized and reenacted. because maybe that's where God's at work. See, we like control, don't we? And we, you see, we can manage the expected and un- unsurprising. We can do that on our own, right? But when it gets crazy, like it got at the resurrection, like it got in, in our story, in our, in our gospel account this morning, when it's seemingly impossible and when it seems out of nowhere, that might be a God thing rather than just a me thing or a you thing. And that's what I'm looking for. Now, let's, let's, let's say, how can we apply this? i wonder if there's something in your life that has been buried that you have considered to be dead something that you've left for dead you know what i'm talking about do you hear me do you hear me stay with me a few more minutes what is it in your life that 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 might have been in in shrouded in so much darkness that that any kind of dawn would 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 be like you know that kind of light is like when you wake up like some of you when the clock went off this morning you did not Turn on the light right away because you wanted to shield your eyes, right? You know how it is when you've been in the dark and you come out into the light, it's like, wow. And, and maybe in, in, in your life, there's been, you've been in a situation like that where, 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 you, where you, 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 you've been in so much darkness that to come out of that darkness would be disorienting. You, you, you know how it is. Folks, you say, I've been down so long that down feels like up. I have not been down that long personally. I don't want to be down that long, but I understand the feeling. It's like you get to, I am used to this. I am accustomed to this pain. I'm accustomed to this resentment. I'm used to my plight. I'm used to being kind of messed up. I'm used to this deadness in my soul. I'm used to this spiritual malaise that I carry. I'm used to being apathetic. I'm used to always guarding myself because I'm so afraid of being hurt. Nobody, you don't know what I'm talking about up in here, do you? Sometimes, tombs in our lives have to do with the way we treat some things in our lives as though they represent the end. You know what it is like because sometimes a relationship is over and sometimes that's the way it is and sometimes not. Sometimes our walk with God, it seems, in that moment has ended. There's some, some that have followed Jesus and loved the Lord and that have turned back and ceased to walk with him anymore. Maybe you were at a period in your life where you had... Experienced a, a season of joy, maybe for much of your life you had been happy and well-adjusted, and all of a sudden you've gone through a, a, a period of trauma and trial, and it seems that that season of happiness in your life has ended, and you wonder if you will ever get it back again. Will you ever smile again? And you say, "Well, you know, I smile, but yeah, I'm talking about will you ever smile for real again? You smile at me, you smile at your neighbor, hi how you doing? How you? But on the inside, you like you are grimacing and you are frowning because you are hurting and broken. There's this big stone that, that's covering over some significant areas of your life the thing that you used to feel or the thing that the person you used to love or the way you used to be and, and, and all of a sudden in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your life, there's that unmistakable stench of death that is starting to creep up. But I heard a preacher say he said where we put a period God Puts a comma. Having a God of resurrection means that the story is seldom over when we think it is. God always has another hand to play, God always has another card to play, God always has another purpose. And only God can speak life in the face of death. Only God holds the power of resurrection. And Jesus, by his resurrection, the eighth sign, he has signified and demonstrated his ultimate power over death. And yes, power over physical death, the death of Jesus. Power over the, the enemy of physical death. Power over spiritual death. But power over all of the implications and all of the manifestations and all of the expressions of death in your life and in my life. And that's why Jesus says this. He says, "I." the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live and he who lives and believes in me shall never die Jesus holds the power over death he holds the power over hell he holds the power over grave the power over sin sickness oppression every work of the devil and he is the God of the surprise endings like the resurrection story He had predicted the outcome, but nobody seems to have expected it to end the way it did. Only God can do something. If I dare, if I can be irreverent and say so weird and wonderful. So absolutely surprising and so eminently satisfying. Again, some of you are tending tombstones in your life. You're placing flowers at the grave site of your hopes and dreams, your aspirations, your relationships. I want to remind you that the Jesus you follow, the Jesus you love and serve, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I want to stop there, but I want to challenge you. This Easter Sunday, April 5th, 2015, oh, I applaud you for showing up to worship today, for coming to church. I, I honor you and affirm you for many of you being here early for sunrise service and serving and loving, and those of you that have come to this service to worship, to hear the word of the Lord. I want to challenge you to open your heart and your mind to a God who is a God of surprise endings. To open your heart and your mind to a God who is a God of resurrection and life. And where you thought God was done with you, open yourself to the possibility that maybe God just might not be through with you yet. That part in your life where you thought God was done dealing and where you thought that part, that thing in your life that you thought it ended. Maybe it just, this may just be the beginning. We want to go from this place this morning and we want to be people of the resurrection. We want to walk in the power and the light and the life of the resurrection. N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, people who believe in the resurrection in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. I hope that we as, as, as a church, that we as God's people, that we as Christ followers, while we look for the life to come, In the power of this resurrection that we seek to bring, to speak life and to bring change and to bring the God of surprise into the the, the institutions and to the world and the culture all around us, that we be people of the resurrection.